Well, how about that, huh? Nicole, huh? What do you guys think, huh? Word. Okay, girl. All right. Now, Nicole plays every instrument uh, that we have here, so um, she, she, she got a job for life. Okay. Uh, good morning again. I just want to welcome you here. just want to let you know that, um, that you are loved here. I, I hope you feel that as you walk in and uh, someone uh, looks at you and says, man, I love you. Just go ahead and do that and uh, just turn to somebody and say, I really love you. Uh, nothing awkward, but uh, really do love you. We're excited to have you here, and so there are two things that I, I am excited to share with you about. Uh, first, right after service today, uh, in room A4, and, um, we will have a welcome luncheon. Okay, now if you're new here at STAC, if you just started coming or or just been here for a few months, and uh, you want to get to know our church a little bit more, uh, just invite you right after service around 11:30, 11:35 or so. Uh, go to room A4. There will be a free lunch there for you. It's incredible. Uh, spread. Uh, I just love it. I just am sad because I'm teaching Sunday school, so I, I never get a chance to eat them, uh, them fried chicken. So please, please uh, show up and uh, be there. If you know anyone that's new, absolutely walk them and join us for lunch. Uh, that would be great. And also, uh, mark your calendars. Uh, in uh, Friday, March 30th is Good Friday. So uh, not this coming Friday, a week from this coming Friday. It's Holy Week. Right, so March 30th, Friday night, 7.30, down in Fellowship Hall. Would, I, would you all just uh, make it a point to come and, and be part of our Good Friday Reflection Service? Uh, we're excited for it, as always, and just invite you to come and, and just uh, remember with us the death and, and the suffering and death of Christ. And so we'll do that together downstairs at 7.30, okay? All right, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll start there. Our actual passage will be in Romans 13, but I want to go ahead and get a, a bigger picture of what we're talking about today. And so we have a lot to do today, so let's, uh, let's go. Romans 12, we're going to read verses 1 to 2, and then we'll move to 13, uh, 11 to 14. Okay, so uh, here we go. Uh, Romans 12, uh, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so there you have the, the, the start of this section of Romans. Okay, so in light of God's mercy, present yourselves as living sacrifice. And so Paul is going to list the next couple chapters how that looks like. And so let's go to uh, Romans 13 and look at uh, in verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, 
clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. Let me pray one more time. Lord, Father God, this is your word you have given to us. God, um, would you get rid of anything that's distracting? Anything that keeps us from hearing fully what you have to say to us? Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. And so, in, in this passage, what Paul does, he, he begins and he lays out some commands. And he based these commands upon this idea of understanding the present time. And this is the critical question for Paul's audience. And, and I think uh, that we need to remember when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing to who? He was writing to Roman Christians. And what was going on in this time was that Roman Christians were, were first of all, they were driven out of Rome. Right? Just, just, just in one edict, they, they said, you all got to leave Rome. And so they left Rome and dispersed there. Uh, into various towns and locations. And they were going widespread, undergoing widespread persecution. And so this is when you hear about stories like they've been put into, the, uh, into these arenas right? and they were, were dressed up in, 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 in uh, animal hides and were set forth to hungry lions. And, and these were what was happening at this time. And so the question is, how do you understand your present time? And Paul says, you know, listen, do this, understanding the present time. And so that's a critical question for them, and it's a critical question for us. How do you see and how do you interpret your present time? And so uh, this past week, I, I got a chance to drive my dad to a finals doctor visit. Well, not the final, but final doctor's visit for his particular chemo regimen, okay? So my dad's been going through a little uh, minor chemo uh, uh, pills, and he was taking that. And so apart from some minor side effects on his toes and fingernail uh, areas, um, my dad's doing great. He's regaining his strength and, and energy, and, and he's done with chemo, so praise God for that. And um, I'm, I'm waiting for him to get strong enough so he can come and cut our grass. So that's, that's pretty much what I'm doing all this for. But, but on the drive, uh, taking him to, uh, to, to, the, to the hospital, we started talking. And I don't know how we got on this, but we started talking about President Donald Trump. And I, and I don't know how we got on that, but, but and then, then, then from Trump, we moved on to gun control and, and then talked about the FBI investigation and the Russian and, uh, you know, all the hot button topics, right? And I'm trying to talk to this brother in Vietnamese, and it's really, really difficult, okay? But he was so passionate. I, I have never seen my dad so angry. Okay? And, and, and suddenly, I, mean, I'm, I, I kid you not, I'm driving in my car, and, right, and my dad just throwing out swear words. Right? His, his limited English swear words. I'm like, okay. Right? So it, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh. Right? It's kind of cute when my dad swears, I guess. Uh, but, uh, but I remember... It's just, it's, he, he was telling all these things about his, his frustration. He was shocked, and, and, and it was, um, all these things was raising his voice. And apparently I found out him, him and my brother have been having this ongoing debate. 
about whether President Trump's a good president or not. Man, my dad was going off. He says, man, this guy's such a liar, abuser, talks so much, heart's so evil. Okay. This is my dad, okay? And apparently, um, I, I realized this on the drive, you guys. Uh, Donald Trump has invaded the Dole family. <laughs> He's invaded the Dole family. So I'm just thinking to myself, okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to go and have dinner one time with my family, and then and all we'll talk about is Donald Trump. I just can't wait. I might film it. <laughs> and, you know, and one thing that bothered my dad was, was uh, every tweet, you know, and every decision, every speech becomes top story news. I'm sick of hearing him in every news uh, venues and, and all over the place. And, and so I shared with my dad. I said, Dad, you know, um, I, I don't know, you know this, but I, I gave up social media, or I tried to give up social media for, the, for this season of Lent, you know, all the way up to Easter. And, I, and, and I, one of the reasons I did that was be, I actually became kind of overwhelmed and, and burdened and, and, and frustrated with, with all that was coming out of the news and, and the things that were being said and, and, and the debates what's going on, and I just felt like I, was, I needed to breathe. And so I said, maybe, Dad, maybe you should stop watching news. Maybe you should stop, uh, unplug the TV and uh, go cut grass and, and trim the trees. And, and uh, you know, maybe that's something that's a little bit easier on you and, and your blood pressure. But then I realized that's how my dad interprets the current time. That's how he sees the time that we're living in. And so how do you see it? How do you interpret this time that you have been given? Because how we see and how we interpret our time will determine how we live and how we respond. And so Paul begins in this particular passage, he says, understanding the present time. And so how does Paul see his time? How does Paul look at what's been happening in his world and how does he see it? And so there's three things that I think he comes across here. Number one, number one, he says, wake up. Right? He says, wake up. How he sees the time is to wake up. I, I was planning, in, and when I was writing this part, I was going to scream, wake up. I didn't want to scare any of you guys, especially those who are sleeping. So, so, so turn to your neighbor and say, wake up, please. And put your phone away, uh, middle school. High school, put your phone away. I see you. Wake up and look at verse 11. He says, The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. And so there's this definite sense of urgency. What was Paul alarmed about, you guys? What was Paul uh, um, warning us about? So, when, when, whenever time, uh, every time Paul uses the word hour, and later in verse 12, he uses the, the day, there's this sense uh, of an impending return of Christ. There's this eschatological uh, sense built into these words. And so this hour that he's referring to is a pregnant moment. It's, it's, it's full of end times and uh, significance. It is, it is a moment that we need to pay attention to. And so if this hour is coming, Paul says, wake up, stop sleeping. You've been conformed to the patterns of this world for far too long. Some of us, 
We stood on the sideline. We rested in our rooms of comfort. We, we ignored the struggles of the world. And, and, and we, we blended into the culture. And we built our own kingdom. We've been busy building our own kingdom. And, and this funny thing, because I've been thinking a lot about this, this, this issue of time. For many of us, we look at time and we see it as, as something that we have control over. That, that time is ours to give and, and, and take. That we, we put a value on our time. That's how our culture works, right? You, you want to see a lawyer for an hour? This is the going rate. This is the value of my time. Rarely do we think of our time as his time. Rarely do we think of our time as God's time given to us, entrusted to us to live and to do his will. And so every hour for Paul that passes is one hour closer to the imminent return of God. And so when Jesus returns, as he promised he will, what will you and I be doing? And so Paul wants to write, he says, wake up. The second way that he sees time is that God's plan is almost completed. That God's plans are almost completed. Verse 11 again, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So often when we think of salvation, right, when we think of, of this idea of personal salvation, we think of it in, in judicial terms. Because Jesus' death, uh, he paid the penalty for our sins. And when we surrender to him, we are declared not guilty. And so when we think of salvation, we think of it as in a positional kind of way. And this is absolutely correct. This is so powerful. I love preaching that. But salvation in this passage is so much more. So when, when, when we give our lives, when we surrender our lives to Jesus in repentance and receive him by faith, See, we receive that salvation. We're given that assurance. But sa this salvation we experience now, this salvation is not complete until we see Christ face to face. Does that make sense? It is not fulfilled. Right now, we've been promised it. We live it. We struggle with it. We grow in it. But it's not completed until that day we see Christ face to face. And whether we go to see him because we die or that he returns. And so I sit there and I wonder, if Paul is like me, right? If Paul is like me, I, he's probably sitting there, man, man, forget death, okay? Come, Lord Jesus. Come on. Return. Take me home with you. Dying. You know, this whole death thing, this is it's scary. It's overrated. And funerals are expensive. You know, if I know Jesus is coming, I, wouldn't, you know, I would not have to buy this plot of land for $30,000. Man, forget that. Just take me home. Let me fly with you. I want to see you for whom my soul longs. Isn't that great? Isn't that great to just sit there and say, God, would you just return? You ready for that? 
Are you ready? Right? Right. Are you are you excited about that? Now I wonder, I wonder sometimes, like, like in my own life, I live my life in such a way, like I live like he doesn't, he's not gonna come back for a hundred years. And he may not. There's, 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 there's no longing for his appearance. But Paul sees the time differently. Salvation is closer now than when we first believed because Jesus is closer to returning. This march of time is leading to Christ who will return and make all things new. And with each passing day, we are closer to Christ than we were yesterday, nearer to his reappearance than we were before, closer to the fullness of our salvation than we were a few moments ago. That has to drive us. That has to excite us. So are you ready? You ready to meet the Lord? Do you long for his return? In the third way, and so wake up and, and God's plans are almost completed. Third way Paul sees time and interprets his time is that God's return is imminent. God's return is imminent. And, I, and this is a, a critical point. Verse 12, it says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Again, Paul sees each passing day as reminders that this could be the day that Jesus returns. The night is nearly over means that the world, with all of the struggles and pains and problems, everything that we see here, this is only temporary. The day, that day, punctuated by the return of Jesus and his reign and rule, that day will be eternal. And so that day is almost here. So brothers and sisters, what day are you living for? What day are you striving for? And so let me, let me address the elephant in the room here. You know, it, it's, when you read the New Testament, it is clear that Paul fully expected Christ to return at any moment, even in his lifetime. And the early church were all awaiting for this reappearance of Jesus. But the reality is, Christ did not return. And so what happened? Did Paul and the early apostles, did they get it all wrong? And what do we do, is we, what do, we do with these commands and other commands which derive their power and urgency on this soon return of Christ? What do we do with that? I'm so glad you asked. And I know. So glad you asked. Much, you know, a lot have been written upon this valid question, these valid questions. Yet it is critical as we study the, the, uh, what Paul talks about, the return of Jesus, that he actually never predicted a near return. For Paul and the early church, Christ's return was not so much a matter of when, but rather a matter of imminentness. That makes sense? Jesus himself taught that the day of his return could happen at any time, at any moment. No one knows, not even the Son knows, Jesus says. Only the Father knows. And so he tells us that to not get caught up with the when. I mean, if you search the internet, 
you will find so many groups that love to predict the soon return of Jesus Christ. They say it's going to be in October of 2019. It's going to be this month. Get ready. Sell your stuff. So it's not the when. Rather, his return is imminence. You see the difference? Live with imminentness and do not get sidetracked on predictions. And, and one commentator put it this way. The next great event in God's historical redemption is the return of Jesus Christ. The next event. I mean, think about just, look, look at the history that, that God has interpersoned his world, his, his creation, unto all the prophets he sent, and unto the coming of Christ, and his death on the cross, and his resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And the next main event that's going to happen on this earth is the return of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants us to be ready. Look at the time. Look at the time. Let's get ready. So wake up. It's time to believe. It's time to be alert, to be ready for God's imminent return. And so honestly, it's amazing how much I live my life and go about my days with so little thought of how close we are to Christ. Whether it be through death and we see him or we hear the trumpet blow and we see Jesus returns on the clouds and our faith shall be sight. This veil between temporal time and eternal time is so very thin. And so brothers and sisters, Paul begins and says, look to your time. Because how you see it, how you interpret, will be determined how you will live and respond to it. And so Paul goes from time analysis, he moves to response. So how then are we to live? How then are we to respond? And so once again, Paul gives us three responses. The first one. In verse 12, he, he says, get into the ring. Get into the ring. Look at verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So I hate to admit this to you, but one of my um, favorite video games this past year, and Julie loves this game too, that... that consumed a lot of my time is Zelda Breath of the Wild on the Nintendo Wii, uh, Switch. And if you play that game, one of the most fun things to do is what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to collect armors, okay? Among other things, you collect a bunch of things, but one of the things that you want to need to collect are armors to help you fight these hundreds and hundreds of, of monsters that, that you meet on your journey. And one of the armor set is called uh, the Radiant Armor. And I think I have a picture of it here. Yeah, you like that? Okay, so radiant armor. So basically, it glows in the dark. Okay, it looks like a skeleton. And what it does is, and, and, and every single armor has different kind of uh, 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 
powers to it, okay? And then, so, this particular armor, the cool thing is when you upgrade it and wear it, uh, when you meet any of the skeletal monsters, um, I'll show you a picture of one of them. When you meet any of these skeleton monsters, okay, um, there, and uh, like I said, there are hundreds of them, they actually won't attack you. It's hilarious. Like, like if you don't have it, they, the first thing they'll do is they'll kill you, okay? But they'll, they'll attack you, they'll try to destroy you. But if you put that on, <laughs> you just walk straight up to them, and they'll sniff you and look at you kind of suspiciously, and look at you uh, kind of like, hey, who is this guy? It doesn't smell right. But they will not attack you. So what you can do is when you wear that armor, you can just walk by them, or you attack them from behind with a, a one-hit kill. If you have any questions, by the way, on this game, <laughs> ask, ask any of my our junior hires, okay? They are incredibly, um, I have some of the longest conversation on this particular game with a junior hire than any other, you know, any other topic in my whole entire life. And so it's incredible how fun it is that they, they will look at you and they will just let you go by and you can just strike them from behind and destroy them. And that's fun. It's fun for me. <laughs> and you know, whether you believe it or not, this game taught me a lot about spiritual battles. See, how we dress... What we put on is based upon the purpose that we embrace. If, like, for example, if, if, if you go into a wedding, we put on a suit. If you're going to go play a basketball game, you put on some sweats and, and sneakers. If we're part of a team, we've got to put on a uniform, isn't it? And if a bo boxing match, then you put on some gloves and you get into the ring. And so well, for what purpose then? Does Paul tell us to put aside the deed of darkness and put on the armor of light? Now, first of all, the, the imagery of night and day that he uses in verse 12, and darkness and light, these refers to the deeds and the attitudes that are associated with evil and, and with good, respectively. Paul writes that the night is almost over, so let us put away the deeds of darkness Deeds that belong to the night. Any time now, Christ will return. And when that day breaks, there will be no more room for darkness. There will be no more shadow. The Bible says there will be no more night. Because the glory and the radiant beauty of Jesus Christ will shine for all eternity. And in fact, it shines now in you. And in me, through our acts of love and deeds of mercy. And so, secondly, the armor, when you think about armor, it's there to protect us and is there to help us fight. We put off the deeds of darkness and we fight for the light. And what is this light that we are fighting for? It is nothing less than the revealed gospel of God in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians verse 4, the same apostle, he writes this in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Not a powerful passage. This light is in you, and this light is in you and me, and we're called to fight, to put on that armor and to fight. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm pleading with you right now to join us, to labor with us, to pray with us in the work of spreading the gospel to Beacon Hill, to schools, to Chinatown, to Seattle, to Bellevue, and to the ends of the earth. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ, let it seep into every ounce of your being. And let it guide every conversation, every coffee break, every relationship. Put on the armor of light. Let's step into the ring. Invite you to fight. And I want you to know that we have a purpose here at our church. And so that's, an, that's a critical thing. Come and get into the ring. The second way that he talks about uh, is to practice control. To practice control. And the second way to respond is to practice control. Verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. See, that word behave here in the NIV is better translated as walk, referring to the manner into which we live our lives. So let us walk decently. Let us walk appropriately, reflecting well who we are who we belong to, and to what we proclaim. So let us walk as those who live for that day, the day of Christ's, control, uh, Christ's return. So let us walk with control. You know, when I was in college and uh, attending Koinonia, we often, we love talking about controversial topics. And one such topic back then was the use of Christians and alcohol. Should we drink it? Should we order it at restaurants, even when there were underage people with us? You know, one time someone actually took, went to a restaurant, ordered an alcohol with underage students, and we had to have an intervention with that person. That was some serious meetings I was part of. No, okay, I wasn't the one that bought, I ordered it, by the way, just in case you're wondering. The second topic was under no circumstances, I was taught, should a guy and a girl sleep in the same bed or share the same tent unless they were married. So sometimes when people take trips to Vancouver or, or go camping, I often ask them, hey, are you sharing rooms? Are you sharing tents? Or will there be a separate one for guys and a separate one for girls? You know, a lot of students through the years Hey, what's the big deal, Pastor Tung? We're just sleeping. And we're saving money. You know, instead of buying two hotel rooms, we only got to get one, and we can all share that together. I, I looked at that, and I'm like, wow, uh, you, make a, you make an Asian man proud. You know, there were other examples, but I bring these up. Because as I begin to teach these values to subsequent generation, I realize how many followers of Jesus Christ do not hold to these views. That I am seen as old-fashioned. And I'm seen 
as someone who's not with the times. They'll never tell me that. And so what happens is I no longer am invited to camping trips or trips to other cities. (laughs) It seems that every generation reacts against the values and mores of the previous generation. It is no different in the church. Students who grow up in restrictive churches or families tend to yearn and elevate freedom. And once free from parental or church control, they swing to the other extreme. Paul here gives us a much-needed reminder. The Christian is free in Christ. Yes, hallelujah, we are free in Christ. But that Christian also has responsibilities in Christ. And those who love freedom over responsibilities are no different than those who strict, pharisaical, no fun fundamentalists. There's no difference. Today, there are many other controversies in the church. And as we wrestle with them as we must, let us strive to balance between freedom in Christ and our responsibilities in Christ. For even in our freedom, right, let us practice control. Even in our freedom, let us practice control. And finally, the last response is to pursue Christ-likeness. Verse 14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I love this statement. The Christian life is about both becoming what we are and what we will be, comma, at the present time. Becoming both what we are in Christ, what Christ has done, and what we will be when Christ returns in this present time. What does it mean to clothe yourself with Christ? When you go shopping, how do you guys decide which article of clothing you're going to buy? Well, for me, I listed out a few things. Hey, number one, is it cheap? Right? Every morning I buy something from Amazon because Facebook always gives me these uh, this coupons, you know. And then, boom, it's like 60, 65% off. How can I not buy it? Is it cheap? Is it well-made? What brand is it? Does it fit? But ultimately, the decision of whether or not to buy something is whether or not does that clothing look good on me. Does wearing this make me look skinnier, more attractive, cooler? To put on Christ, brothers and sisters, Yes, it means to walk as he did. It means to obey his words, to love his mission. It means all those things. But the ultimate question is, does Jesus look good on you? Is your heart drawn to him? Is he beautiful to you? Is he more satisfying than anything else in this world? Anything that even our flesh desires? See, church, these are crazy times we live in. If we are not careful, we can be caught up into this whirlwind of anger and hatred and bitterness and divisiveness. We can even come to hate people in light of their beliefs. There's got to be a better way. And that way begins with how we see our times, how we interpret our times. The closer we are to Christ's return, the closer we are to salvation being full, 
So let's get into the ring. Let us fight. Let us live our lives in control. Remember that our freedom in Christ has responsibilities. And let Christ be the all-satisfying, all-beautiful, all-encompassing Savior and Lord for our hearts and for our world. That's a lot. But I just want to encourage you to know the time that we live in and to know it with hope. God is not delaying. He will come when the time is right. And so let me close and invite the, the, the worship band to come on up. And, and I'm going to close by reading 1 Thessalonians 5, verses, 11, verses 1 to 11. And so listen and follow with me here. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse, starting verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates... We do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Go and live as children of light and those who long for his appearing. Father, thank you. The greatest hope that we have is that, Lord, you will come. You will return And it will be no more, no longer we need to use faith. It will be sight. Our faith will be coupled with sight. And we will see you. And when we see you, we will know that our salvation is full and real and true. So God, let us live this day, these days, these tumultuous days. Let us live these days with that hope. That our kingdom is not of this world that there's another one to come. But at the same time, let us live and let that hope drive us to shine the light of your kingdom even in the world around us and the darkness that engulfs us. So God, let us be about your business. Let us be about the Father's business. 
and call us and lead us and give us strength to obey because we can't do any of this without you and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we ask. Amen. Just rise and respond to